Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast. We keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of March 24th through the 26th, 2023. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there, and who oh boy, what a weekend it has been. Not only did we get an amazing addition to March Madness for this year with John Wick 4, not only did we get some great news for anime films coming out of China, but we also have some major drama coming out of the House of Mouse, specifically Marvel. Uh, we'll get to those in a little bit, uh, but first let's hop into the numbers. In first place this weekend, we have John Wick 4 from Lionsgate, opening to 73.8 million in 3,855 theaters for 19,149 per theater average. Overseas made another 64 million for about 137.8 million worldwide. This is just about where Box Office posted forecasts them going into the weekend, and is a series best, beating out the first three films, 14, 30, and 56 million openings, respectively. Heck, this already surpasses the first film's domestic box office, more or less, and you know it's also uh, and it's just side of its worldwide box office. Uh, this is also Keanu's second highest opening of his career behind 2003's Matrix Reloaded and the second highest opening of the year behind Ant-Man. Notably, this is the fourth $30 million plus opening weekend in a row for March, a, positive, a major positive even with Sazam being a little bit dis- of a bis- disappointment. This, like Creed 3, is also another example of a franchise that, get, that has gotten better and better box office returns each iteration, not to mention also reviews. Uh, Cinema Score and Rotten Tomatoes for John Wick, John Wick franchise, the first one was a B, uh, second and third were A minus, and this is a solid A on Cinema Score. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it went from 86 to 89 to 89 to this one being 94. Given that there are only three R rated action films in history that have surpassed, managed to get an A plus uh, in Cinema Score, which were Die Hard, Lethal Weapon 2, and Terminator 2, uh, all classics, it's hard to imagine this one doing much better. Truly, this is a masterclass in action filmmaking, which is so what this quality filmmaking can do. I'll have a lot more to say about this later in the What I've Been Watching section. Now, as far as when the film will end up by the end of its box office, John Wick has been pretty consistently a 3x multiplier kind of film franchise. And without much R-rated action on the schedule until maybe Evil Dead Rise a month from now, this would easily get there and would maybe get 220 million domestic and should cross 400 million worldwide off of its 100, off of its 100 million dollar production budget. The real question, of course, is now what will Lionsgate do for the franchise moving forward? Without spoiling too much about the ending, there isn't, I think, narratively much more John Wick can do in the future, though it does look like they're going to have some potential spin-offs. Notably, the Honor the Armas spin-off, Ballerina, will release in the first half of next year, and then the TV series The Continental will premiere on Peacock later in September, plus a couple other threads for potential uh, uh, spin-offs uh, were laid in this film, especially in the post credit scene. Now, given Lionsgate's lack of major franchises, otherwise, you can definitely say they're going to do their best to try to figure out a way to get Keanu Reeves back in front of the big screen soon enough. Uh, in second place for the box office, Shazam 2 tumbled down to earth with a 69% drop in 4,071 theaters for $9.3 million and a 2,294 per theater average. The total sits at $45.9 million, worldwide just barely crossing over $100 million. At this rate, it'll be lucky to get $60 million domestically. Uh, to put these numbers in context, the first Shazam film opened to $53 million, and this hasn't even gotten there yet after two weekends. While this wouldn't be the absolute worst DCEU domestic total since you know we had one, 19, 1984 and James Gunn Suicide Squad, Open during the pandemic, this would be lower than the next lowest film, Birds of Prey, which made $84 million on an $82 million budget, uh, production budget domestically. And remember, Sazam 2 had like about $125 million production budget. Heck, you know, this film might not even make $150 million worldwide, which would actually be the lowest grossing DCEU film of the entire franchise, including the two pandemic films, 1984 and James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Yikes, 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 all around over there. 
Uh, third place went to Scream 6, dropping 52% and weakened 3 for 8.3 million in 3,355 theaters, a 24th or 83 per theater average, and an 89.8 domestic total uh, as of uh, its third weekend. Worldwide, it's just under 140 million to date. This one probably faced a fair bit of competition with John Wick this weekend, playing in the similar R rated space, but still pretty solid for the franchise overall, especially on the $35 million production budget. This one's just at about the third highest domestic total for the franchise, about 11 million and 13 million away from uh, from catching up to Scream 2 and Scream 1, respectively. It's already passed the 2022 remakes worldwide total of 138 million, and it's about 23 million away from passing Scream 3, 34 million away from passing Scream 2, and 35 million away from passing Scream 1. At this rate, I think $100 million domestically should be in the bag, though, depending on how far it drops from the increased competition, it'll be a nail biter to see whether it can become the highest grossing of the franchise domestically or worldwide. Still, at this point, I think we can probably expect to hear an announcement about Scream 7 any day from now. Uh, fourth place for the weekend went to Creed 3 with a 47% drop in week 4, down to number 8.1 million in 3,207 theaters for 2,555 per theater average and a 140 million domestic total. Worldwide, it's made another 105 million overseas for about 245 million worldwide. Now, Jonathan Major's news aside, which we'll talk about again later, there's honestly not too much more you can say about this film beyond it being an unqualified success. About the only thing it won't accomplish that you could hope for is beating Rocky IV's $300 million uh, worldwide total. This one is looking to come up maybe in the 285 million range or so, but still, on a 75 million production budget, you couldn't ask for much more. Uh, wrapping up the top 5 is the Adam Driver Dinosaur Film 65 with 3.2 million in 2,786 theaters, 445% drop and 11.49 per theater average, 27 million domestic take and not even 50 million worldwide. Not too much more to say here since their chances of, probability, of profitability were, went extinct from opening weekend. Outside the top five, Ant-Man and the Watch continues to bleed theaters, 735 total down to less than 2,000. Uh, Champions from Focus Features lost 1,100 theaters in Weekend 3. Uh, Avatar Way of Water has hung into the top 10 for 15 weeks, closing in on Top Gun Maverick's massive 21 weeks in the top 10 in a row. Meanwhile, Puss in Boots was pushed out of the top 10 for the first time after 13 weeks. Uh, for new releases, United Artists released Florence Pugh, Morgan Freeman film A Good Person to 530 theaters for about 834,000, a piddly 1574 per theater. The average Sally Hawkins film from IOC, The Lost King, made about 516,753 theaters, a 686 per theater average. We also have 80 from Brady, and it gets domestic one, 39 million on a 28 million production budget. Probably not what they're hoping for, but I guess Tom Brady can make have more time now to work on his movies. And Imagine Mike's The Last Dance also ended its domestic run with 26 million dollars. Overall for the weekend, thanks to John Wick, we got back to above $100 million with $116 million all told. While March Madness may technically be over, the hits won't stop coming with this coming weekend debuting Paramount's Dungeons & Dragons movie starring Chris Pine. Based on the th certified uh, based on the certified Fresh Rotten Tomatoes reviews, this one could probably be another banger that could very well outperform the $27-36 million that box office pros is forecasting currently. It'll need that to get past the $151 million production budget that this thing is holding onto to be profitable. Also releasing this weekend is a biopic film about the founder of Casablanca Records titled Spinning Gold from Variance Films. No forecast on this from Box Office Pros. 1001, the winner of the Audience Award from Sundance, also releases from Focus Features. And then A Good Person also expands a bit wider. There's also apparently a Christian film about Abraham called His Only Son that, uh, his only son that at Box Office Pros is forecasting for 2 to $6 million. 
Uh, moving overseas in China, there were a couple of new releases, but the crowd this weekend went to Makoto Shinkai's Suzume, opening the $50 million, the highest opening for a non-Chinese film this year so far, including all of the Hollywood films. It's forecasted to make $90 million by the end of its run, according to Maoyan. This beats out Shinkai's previous top fil opening film, though, Your Name, which made $41.3 million in its opening weekend and ended up making $83.7 million total. Uh, adding to the $24 million in South Korea, $106 million in Japan so far, it made $188 million US dollars worldwide to date and is now the ninth highest grossing anime film of all time. This actually pushes Pokemon, the first movie, out of the top 10 uh, animes of all time uh, for the first time since it released in 1999. Back to China, though, you know, in second place, this uh, last week's top film, Post Truth, made $12.5 million for an $86.4 million total through three weekends. Third place went to a journalism, a new journalism movie, The Best Is Yet to Come, making $5.6 million. Now, this one actually was released at the Vet 2020 Venice Film Festival, but due to being about a public health scandal, it had been delayed getting approved for release in China due to the pandemic. Uh, Mystery Drama Manifesto made $2.4 million in fourth place, and in fifth place was rounded out by Revival in its third weekend for $2.2 million, or $27.7 million to date. Also opening this weekend in China were A Man Called Otto, which did not even register in the top 10. Uh, Suzanne and Megan from Hollywood are 9th and 10th respectively, with only 5.9 and 2.84 million cumulative to date since releasing two weekends ago. Looking ahead for China's release uh, schedule, Dungeons & Dragons opens this weekend alongside Adam Driver's 65 film. Uh, later in April, we'll see another anime film, the Slam Dunk movie, that recently became the highest grossing Japanese film in Korea, so that one's to do well in China. And we also got news that Little Mermaid and Fast X will release in China, though dates are TBD. Uh, Little Mermaid should release close to the May 24th release date, while the Fast X you know, could have any day that the last Fast and the Furious film released, I believe, five weeks uh, before the previous uh, film opened uh, here in the States. Uh, moving on to the promised headlines, we have some trouble brewing in the House of Mouse, specifically for Kevin Feige. Uh, first off, late last week, it broke that longtime veteran of Marvel Studios, Victoria Alonso, had been fired from the company. Now, Alonso has been a mainstay at Marvel Studios, uh, considered one of the big three at, at, at Marvel, alongside Kevin Feige and Luis de Esposito. Uh, Feige and de Esposito are co-presidents of the studio, uh, while Alonso serves as president of served as president of production, particularly of visual effects and post-production. Now, someone look at... Ant-Man's recent failings and pointed that as the cost, um, or someone maybe look at the recent crunch in the VFX industry, particularly around Marvel films, and you know say that you know, and it's kind of an open secret in the industry that he was kind of like the uh, the the boogeyman of the VFX, VFX industry. Some would hope that maybe that was the cost of him being fired. Unfortunately, I don't think it was the case in either situation. It appears he had broke, actually broken her, uh, her employment contract regarding serving as a producer for a competing studio. Specifically in this case, it looks like uh, she had been a producer for the Oscar nominated film Argentina 1985 uh, herself being a native Argentinian makes sense um, but however the film was uh, produced by Amazon Studios which again I guess for Marvel was a big no-no it all apparently came to a head this past Friday as an openly queer executive uh, she was also rather vocal during Bob Chapek's recent kerfuffle with Florida over the Don't Say Gay bill though I don't think that had really much effect on this um, in any case apparently C and Disney lawyers are working on a settlement so I'm sure she'll be fine but you know definitely probably not what uh, Feige was hoping for now, that whole drama would be bad enough for Feige, but you know, why don't we throw in news about Jonathan Majors from this past weekend? Uh, the next big bag of the MCU, you know, for the next two phases as Kang the Conqueror, Majors was arrested this past last weekend for a domestic dispute with presumably his girlfriend in New York City this past uh, this past Saturday before being arraigned on Sunday. Now, allegedly, he got an, an altercation with her. Um, as of right now, he has been released by the judge pending further investigation. Uh, Majors' attorney states that there are apparently statements from the woman recanting her allegations 
as well as video footage uh, to prove their case, so the story is still developing. Still, the damage may have already been done. Uh, the army, who has had a number of ads narrated by majors, pulled those ads shortly after his arrest, and various actors and directors from the New York and Yale theater and uh, film communities have come out from the woodwork alleging that majors has been difficult and to, to work with in the past, if not an outright bully. Now, whether or not these allegations stick uh, and damage his reputation enough to get him pulled remain to be seen. Still, if I'm Disney and doing the calculus on whether or not we have a developing Ezra Miller-esque situation that could potentially be nipped in the bud or relatively early for, you know, essentially what your entire next, next uh, what, five of movies hinge around, um, I'm probably going to try to make that call sooner rather than later. Heck, I mean, they've done this before with uh, Rhodey as War Machine. I haven't Terrence Howard anyone. Not to mention they've also fired James Gunn for less. Um, it's crazy how between Creed 3 and Ant-Man and then getting his Oscar uh, bait film magazine Dreams dated for December, uh, plus a lot of other features on various media outlets, including magazines and PR, he's potentially committed career suicide just like that. Um, one of the fastest, as I've seen it, called Star to Tar Moves I've ever seen. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on this as this develops. Um, and then, you know, just as I was about to record this episode, um, I just we just got news today on Wednesday uh, that Ike Perlmutter, um, longtime head of Marvel, has been laid off by the studio. I don't think Kevin Feige is as concerned about this one um, just because, uh, you know, he famously got into a bit of a kerfuffle with uh, Ike Perlmutter, which eventually moved him out from underneath him. Um, Ike Perlmutter, of course, you know, famously uh, kind of uh, was known for, you know, being a bit of a penny pincer as well as also uh, perhaps not championing the best moves of trying to keep Black Panther, Black Widow and Captain Marvel out of the MCU for a long time. Um, so yeah, uh, he's he's apparently been let go as part of the 7,000-person layoff at Disney going on right now. Uh, anyway, Marvel drama aside, there are a couple more headlines to talk about, particularly around the Cannes Film Festival. First, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is planning on a Cannes premiere date. Uh, between Top Gun Maverick and Elvis opening there last year and James Mangold prior films being Oscar-nominated, I wouldn't be surprised if this bodes well for Dial of Destiny comes award season. Um, in addition, Martin Scorsese's $200 million film, Killers of the Flower Moon, is also aiming for a Cannes world debut in addition to an October 6th limited release and October 20th wide release date. Uh, meanwhile, it looks like uh, um, uh, Dune 2 is you know, still working on post-production, won't make the Venice International Film Festival for its debut. And then as far as you know, other Disney stuff, it looks like there's going to be a sort animated film ahead of Elemental starring Carl from Up going on a date. So looking forward to that as well. It also looks like Spider-Verse has, has an animated sort film as well, I believe, coming to Cannes as well. In any case, let's wrap up this episode with what I've been watching. So this past Monday, I went to go see John Wick 4 in theaters. Um, and I mean, you know, it's been a while since I saw John Wick 3. Um, but, you know, I mean, on one hand, it is a very long movie. I definitely, you know, I think the first film definitely kept it very tight um, and very paced. Um, while the accent, I definitely one of the best action some of the best action sequences I've ever seen in a film um, you know I think the uh, I think just the way that the action kind of dragged on a little bit I mean well done action I think it was a little if anything a little bit too much action um, for some of the sequences it, it almost felt you know there were rumors I think they were going to try to film uh, John Wick 4 and 5 back to back and maybe I think that might have gotten condensed into just John Wick 4 hence the almost 3 hour one time still overall I, there are really no complaints beyond the length for me I mean some of the stuff they did with cinematography the way they have the lighting setup um, it was just you know this is why John Wick is is kind of the pinnacle of action movies for many myself included I mean there's this overhead sequence that happens in Paris toward the last third that's just amazing um, the whole stair sequence is great and then of course Donnie Yen as you know somehow he plays another blind martial artist um, uh, uh, similar to his role in 
Rogue One, um, you know, definitely a great move there as well, and you know, great Christmas as well. Um, you know, love seeing this, and you know, not to, not to put too much spoilers on uh, on where the franchise is going to go in the future and, and and what happens to to Wick at the end, but um, you know, definitely great great all around, and also you know, this was also a fitting send off for uh, Lance Reddick's character, rest in peace. Um, overall, I gave John Wick four four out of five stars. And with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. You can see my ideas for those I to cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Also, it's on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, at the very least, tell a friend, any of that helps. Links all that in the show notes. Numbers in the show come from leadnumbers.com, info and audio from Kevin MacLeod, and competent of Fumas.io, editing production provided by Dinsmore Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch, and remember, our watch goes on. <laughs> <laughs>